Church. I don't know that would be nice. <laughs> Book of James, all right. Let me get on to something I'm more comfortable with. The Book of James, chapter 4, is where we're going to be today. And, of course, we're making our way verse by verse through the Book of James. And, and uh, we're having a great time in this study. And I've got to tell you, I'm very excited for this message today. Honestly, I, I've been excited all week at the thought of sharing something that I know can help every single one of us. How many of you today, you've got a little room in your life for some help from the Word of God? Okay, good. Now, if you don't, you're, you're maxed out. I'm sorry. Nothing I can do about that. But if you've got any room at all to receive, I promise we've got something to fill in your life today from the Word of God. James chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I, I read a, peanut, a Peanuts comic that told the story of Lucy approaching Charlie and, and telling Charlie, hey, I will hold the football for you if you want to kick it. And of course, if you know anything about Charlie and Lucy, Lucy was famous for pulling the football away at the last minute, and, and Charlie would miss and just go flying in the air. How many of you are familiar with the Peanuts comic strip? Okay, good, most of you. And, um, and so Charlie's thinking about this, and he says, no, absolutely not. He wants nothing to do with Lucy holding the football for fear she will, will pull it away. And, and as this unfolds, here's what Lucy had to say to, to Charlie. Oh, you're so right. I admit that in the past I've played cruel tricks on you, but I've seen the error of my ways. I've seen the hurt in your eyes, Charlie. Won't you give this poor, repentant girl another chance? Well, Charlie's a softie, right? And uh, he said, well, okay. And so there she is holding the ball, and here comes Charlie. And sure enough, at the last minute, she pulls it away, and Charlie goes flying through the air. And uh, at that moment, Lucy had this to say. Unfortunately, recognizing your faults and actually changing your ways are two different things. I think a lot of us have the ability to notice that there are some faults that we have in our lives, but when it comes to changing our ways, we, we find that hard to do. I want to talk today about a fault that we all have. It's a fault that you're aware of. It's a fault that probably to this point you've been unable to completely resolve. I don't think that our service today is going to solve this problem on a global scale, but I believe with, all, I believe with every fiber of my being that what I'm going to share with you from the Word of God today, although it may not bring a global remedy, it can bring a remedy to your life, to your marriage, uh, in your relationships, I believe what we're going to talk about today will lead us from the place where we just recognize the fault to where we begin to understand how our ways can be changed. We're, we're going to talk about the propensity, the bent that we all have to get involved in conflicts. James, we're going to see, calls it wars and fightings. And so to help us get a little context, we'll go back in the beginning. In the beginning, God created all there is. We know that God created Adam and God made Eve and God put them in the most beautiful, peaceful, tranquil, serene setting the world has ever known. He put them in the Garden of Eden and there are these two people and, and what happens? Conflict comes. Sin came in and therefore peace went out. Perfect environment. Environment came. A short time later, environment, uh, the environment was, was still very good, but we find that in their family, more conflict came. Their sons and brothers, Cain and Abel, they, they end up having a conflict, and as a result, Cain kills Abel. A short time later, family grows. Now we have tribes, and tribes fight other tribes for prominence, for resources, for power, and tribes become nations. And, and, and we see that, that because sin entered in, peace went out to a large degree. In a very real sense, the history of the world is just a history of conflicts. 
When World War I ended, President Wilson said this, that it was the war to end all wars. Now, I happen to believe President Wilson was wrong on a lot of things. But he was incredibly wrong on that statement. Does World War II ring a bell? I mean, just a generation later, 60 million people dead from a conflict. And we know that wasn't the last conflict we've, we've had as, as a nation. We, we could talk about Korea and Vietnam and Iraq a couple times and Afghanistan and on I could go. We, we see conflicts all around us. Now, I, I want to be careful. I'm not here today to suggest that, that every war is, is a wrong war. If our nation's being attacked, I'm grateful for, for a, a, a military that will defend us, but, but it does show the, the thought that there are so many conflicts and wars in, in our world. And have you ever wondered why people are so prone to conflicts? And of course, it's not just nation against nation, and really that's not my biggest goal today is to try and find a way to bring world peace in that sense because we're not going to have it until the Prince of Peace returns. Every now and then I'll have a, you know, no more wars or endless wars and, and uh, you know, peace and all this. And it usually comes from a well-intentioned but a very, very naive heart. <laughs> as long as there are people in the world that want to kill you for holding the view you have, there, there are going to be conflicts on a global scale. But I'm really more interested in helping us to see how we can have peace in our own lives, in our own hearts on our roads, as we make commutes, in our homes. What's our problem? Why is peace so elusive to humanity? And how can we resolve the conflicts in our own lives? Well, James has some great insight. Some great insight. And if you want to learn how to deal with conflict in our lives, James can help us today. And uh, if you're able, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we read from James chapter 4. James, again, the younger brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, pastor of the great church in Jerusalem, writing a letter to believers who'd been scattered because of persecution. And he writes to them in chapter 4 this way. He said, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Now, it's interesting. He he says, uh, why do you have wars on the outside? He, he says, in essence, could it be because you have wars on the inside? So he's got wars going on on the outside, wars on the inside in your members, he says. Verse 2, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust i'm going to read on but in verse three there's a reference there to to praying you, you pray and don't receive why because you ask amiss your prayers miss the mark you're you're praying prayers that aren't consistent with the will of god it's based on lust and verse four he says this "Ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that friendship of the that the friendship of the world is enmity with god whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of god now i'm going to read on um James would not build a very large church today like he did in Jerusalem. He just, he just told the truth. He didn't sugarcoat it. The vast majority of people who attend church today in America would not like James very much for the simple fact he was incredibly direct. And so he's speaking here to people of faith and dealing with the, the bent we all have towards conflicts, and he says, you know, the problem is you're spiritually speaking, you're adulterers and adulteresses. And um, he said, 
in essence, the problem is you have a friendship with this world. You can't make the spiritual work because you've got such a great relationship with the material, with this world. Verse 5. Do you think the Scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble your, yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And he'll lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. Interesting statement. Judge the law. He says this, but if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. Who art thou? Who are you? He says, who are you that judgest another great text we're going to need to work through this today okay and uh, I, I hope that you'll have the notes nearby uh, I hope there'll be an encouragement to you the verses will be helpful but when we get to the end and we we kind of find a path through which we can work to help bring a little more peace to the relationships in our life we'll be blessed but in verse one James just kind of addresses the topic and it's wars and fightings wars and fightings I won't ask for a raise of hands but I wonder today how many homes represented in this room have had a war this week or fighting this week on the job in the course of our day-to-day lives. And um, we can be helped greatly by this passage this morning. Our Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And I would ask, Lord, that you would allow us to grow through this time. I love you, Jesus. I pray that everything I say would really be just the way you'd have it to be said. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Have you ever noticed how as people we have the ability to argue just about anything with anyone? It's always amazed me that you can get two people together, they can agree on 90% of everything in the world. They can be right down the line on on just about everything, but conversations tend to degenerate into that few percentage points of those things that they don't have total agreement on. There are conflicts in our nation, in our city, in our homes. And it's sad to say there are even conflicts in churches among people of God. And James was addressing such as he wrote this letter. As James deals with this matter of wars and fightings, he he provides three answers to the most important questions on this topic. And and he begins where you must. The first question you'll see in your notes today is, is this question. Where does conflict come from? Now, if my mom were here, she'd say, Uh, You shouldn't end on a preposition like that, you know. Uh, From whence does conflict come? Maybe it's how my mom would say it. But my mom's not here today, so I'm going to say, where does conflict come from, okay? It just seems to sound a little more understandable to me. Now, James is never one to beat around the bush. And as this chapter begins, he, he gets right to the point, all right? So let's look what it is James has to say as he gets started here. He says, uh, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust... That war in your members. Wars and fightings, where do they come from? James says they come from your lust. Your lust. He goes on to say you lust 
and you have not. And uh, I don't know if there's a second slide there, but he says, You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You see, the basis for conflict is competing desires. You have two people, and they want something different in a given situation. And so they begin to fight one with another. They begin to posture one with another. They want their will. And we think of that word lust, and a lot of times we'll use that word lust, and, and, and we think it means just to want the wrong thing, and, and it can have a variety of connotations. But really, lust just means to want anything. And when you have two people that want something different in an outcome, uh, danger, conflict on the horizon. The other night, I, I don't get to watch a lot of TV, but when I do, I really just like to watch it, man. And I was watching a show about a family in Alaska, and boy, the winter was coming, and they were freezing, and it was very important that I watched. They needed the moral support, okay? And, and uh, I'm watching, and, and really, it, it was probably unhealthy how much empathy was coming from me to them. I was just so concerned for them. And I'm watching this family, and I'm so concerned for them, and Lisa grabbed the remote control and changed the channel. And that was a bad thing to do, but she did it. And uh, I, I was going to really get upset about that, but I had two other girls in the home, my daughters, and, and uh, they sided with Lisa. It's three on one. I'm whittling those odds down. Pretty soon it'll be a fair fight, all right? But, but uh, uh, they're both against me, and, and they said, uh, uh, we, we don't want to watch that show. And they, I don't know what they wanted to watch. It wasn't as good as what I was watching. I do remember that. Now, when, when that was all going on, I want you to know I'm far too mature to physically wrestle with another human being over remote control. It was not going to degenerate to that. I just, I've reached a point in life where that's not going to happen. I'm far too mature to wrestle another human being for remote control. I am, however, not mature enough to handle something like that without pouting, okay? So they got their way. They got their channel. I lost out on mine. So I'm sitting on the couch, and, and uh, I'm pouting, unhappy. Man, how many of you can at least relate a little bit to what I'm saying? Okay, good, good. You're making me feel lonely up here. Um, and so uh, here, here I am. I, I, you know, I was already tired and a little bit crabby, and I finally got a show that kind of let my mind get away from everything I'd been dealing on, and, and I was able to worry about someone else's problems for a minute, and that was just uh, brutally, brutally taken from me. And, and uh, I did not know how this family was was going to fare in their difficult situations. And so as the night went on, I thought, you know, I wonder if they survived. And, and so I Googled this family to see if they made it. And when I Googled the family, I mean, it was like page after page of how the show's a scam. It's not reality show, a uh, reality show at all. They don't even live where the show was. And I thought, man, I was sitting here worried about you people. I was concerned. I mean, uh, I, I, had a, I had a bad night at home because of you people. You tricked me, you scammers. And I'm thinking, they ruined my night. The point is, they didn't ruin my night. I ruined my night two people wanted different things i ruined my own night when conflicts arise we are masters at placing blame we degenerate from fact finders to fault finders and it's so easy to find people to to fault in a conflict but you know proverbs tells us in proverbs 13 and verse 10 only by pride cometh contention only by pride cometh contention and conflicts and wars and fightings. Only by pride. And when I'm in a conflict, I may want to look at everybody else and sure, they may have been horribly wrong for ripping the remote from my hands. But if there's a conflict, it's because 
There's pride in my heart. I don't need to look any further. I need to look within. Pride. Conflicts come when two or more people have a disagreement about how things should be and they become selfish. In fact, James even makes the point that we can have a conflict with God when we ask of Him with a motivation that is selfish. We can come to God in prayer and say, God, I really need this or that, and it's, it's not consistent with His Word. It's not consistent with His will. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're implying that we are seeking for His will, not seeking for Him to do our will. So the conflict comes from conflicting desires. Let's see, secondly today, what is our resource for victory? What is our resource for victory? Now, as James continues, he paints a, a picture of humanity, all right? And, and it's a portrait of, of every one of us. I want you to see how James goes on in verse 5. He said, do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? He said, do, do you think that, that the Scripture is saying it's, it's empty words or wasted words, that the spirit in us, it's lusting to envy? Uh, the, the point he's making here is that our lives are filled with conflict, and he shares the resources for, for the victory in our lives. In the very next words that he writes, he says this, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And James here begins to share what it is that we need to have at work in our lives if we're going to uh, beat this matter of conflict and develop a life of peace. We need grace. The grace of God. That's the key word here. Grace is the resource that we need for victorious and peace-filled lives. And so proud people are people of conflict because they're better than you and they've got to get their way. And everything's a contest. Changing lanes is a contest. Where they're seated at work is a contest. The seat on the couch is a contest. Even the channel they watch, I'm, I'm really preaching about that today, okay? But the channel they watch can be, uh, can be a contest. And, and proud people are often people of conflict. But the divine enabling of the grace of God gives us the power to live above it all. And I love the way the Bible says there that he giveth more grace. God gives more and more and more. That's the idea there is he just keeps giving. I've got great news for you today. You might say, Pastor, I need a lot of grace. And I would say the news for you today is this. He gives more and more and more. You can never need more of God's grace than he's willing to give. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 said, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. In other words, uh, our, 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 our need is met through a grace that is always larger, even than our sin. That's how great the grace of God is. It overcomes our needs. It exceeds the need. And we need a lot of grace. A lot of grace. We need a lot of grace for some people. I recall years ago, we had a neighbor to the church here, and she really didn't like us. That's an understatement. She really didn't like us. And um, I think there were probably issues going on that, that we didn't understand, but uh, she'd, she'd drive her car recklessly in a parking lot of our lower building, and, and she'd shout at people. And I, I remember, on, I, I was reminded of this, I'd forgotten, but uh, she'd stand on the sidewalk and throw lemons at the church. I mean, just... Uh, it, was, it was just unusual, peculiar, strange, and... And uh, this was a real classy lady, right, throwing lemons at, at the church. And, and uh, she began to get under my skin, 
And uh, in my mind, I began to devise ways to get back at her. And uh, I, I knew I, she lived in, in this community, and I personally knew of three ways she was violating the homeowner guidelines. And I thought, hey, an anonymous note, I'll get her tossed right on out of here. That would be awesome. I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. But I thought about it. I thought, I wonder what else I can do. I thought, well, you know what? I can wrap her car in saran wrap real good. That would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I could toilet paper her house, but it was a duplex. And I thought that would be difficult. I'm not sure how I would do that. And isn't it amazing how creative we can be when we really get angry at people? We could say things we never would have said and do things we never would have done. I don't always get it right, believe me. But in this situation, um, I, I could just sense that conflict was brewing. And, and I began to pray, God, I need your grace. Because without it, I'm going to take a little inconvenient problem and I'm going to blow this thing up into World War III. God, I don't, I don't want wars and fightings. And I said, God, please help me in, in, in this area. And, and, and I prayed and I tried to be nice. And I even took her a Christmas present one year. And... Um, the problem didn't go away overnight, but at times she kind of mellowed out, and not too long after that, she moved away. Um, she packed her things up and got on her broom and just flew right on out of here, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she did a lot of really hurtful things to, I mean, our, our entire church family, it was unbelievable. And uh, that was a time where God's grace, in this sense, became very real to me. Because nothing in me wanted to do anything but return kind with kind. I wanted to be just as ugly, if not more so. But I said, God, I need your grace. And I found out his grace is sufficient. We often think of, of grace as God's resource for, for salvation, his divine enabling. Uh, we, we know that God gives us what we don't deserve. And, and yes, grace is, is that which allows us to become safe through faith. But it's just the beginning. Grace is the power of God that resources us to live the Christian life. God's grace is that unmerited favor that meets the needs that we have. The, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 wrote this. He said, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need have you ever had a time of need well god's tool the remedy that need in your life is grace grace to help the next time you're in one of those moments and the hair's standing up on the back of your neck and your blood pressure is beginning to rise just go to the lord in prayer and say lord i need you lord i need your grace i need your help in this situation And I think you'll find that God's grace is sufficient for every need you have. Praying men don't faint, the Bible says. And in our relationships, when we have that heart, Lord, I want to handle this right. I don't want wars. I don't want fightings. I don't want conflict. This relationship's too important. God, I need your help. I think you'll find that God's grace will, will lead you forward in your life. Here's the final thought today, and I'm going to move quickly. What is the pathway to peace? Where does God's grace lead us? And the final verse in this text, it really serves as a great roadmap to peace. And, and uh, really, verses 7 through 12, we, we begin to understand what this map is all about and how it works. And it's kind of like a recipe, really. I'm going to share several steps, and if you miss one, it's, it's just not going to turn out the, the way it could have. 
And so as James draws this map, it, it, it begins with us with, with this thought. Uh, first of all, we've got to yield to God. Yield to God. It, it begins this way as, as James goes on to write. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Now the word submit means to put yourself under. And so James said, listen, if you want to live a life that learns how to deal with these times of, of conflict in the right way, you've got to get down off the, off the top, off the perch. You, you've got to get down from thinking you're number one. You've got to submit to God. You've got to yield to God. And, and uh, that, that's going to bring God's grace. When we go down and let God go up, he gives us grace. And so we place ourselves under the Lord. So yield to God, number one. Number two, here it is, resist the devil. Resist the devil. You say, Pastor, where'd you get that one? Um, verse 7b, resist the devil, okay? So we got to yield to God, we're submitting to him, and then we're resisting the devil. And when we resist the devil in the power of God's grace, let me tell you something, he has no, he has no option but to flee from you. It's not your power per se, but when we're as believers submitting to God, it's the power of Christ in us that, that the devil can't deal with. And so when we resist, we're doing so in the power of Christ and the devil will flee from you. Here's the next one and I love this. Worship God with your heart and soul. I'm saying if you want people peace in your marriage, if you want peace with your children, if you want peace at work, you've got to yield to God, resist the devil, and then number three, worship God with your heart and soul. This is how James says it, draw nigh to God. Now don't miss this, all right? Everyone awake? You got a few minutes left in you? Okay, draw nigh to God. Now that's, that's a nice quaint saying. No, that was an enormous saying. Because as we came to understand, James was a Jewish man writing primarily to Jewish people. And he used that expression because he knew it would grab his audience by the shirt collar and it would shake him up like that. James said, here's what you need to do. You need to draw nigh to God. And that was a statement that Jewish people would have, would have understood. It would have taken them in their mind's eye back, 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 way back to the Old Testament. James was making a statement that they would have identified with. He was helping them to understand that it's imperative that we live lives of worship. Exodus 19 and verse 22. And let the priests also which come near to the Lord. By the way, this is the idea. Draw near to God. Sanctify themselves lest the Lord break forth upon them. The priest would draw near to God. And so James is writing here and he says, I want you to know something. If you want to have peace in your life, if you want to have peace in your relationships, it comes from this, this life that is authentic, that is all in, that is wholly yielded to God because worshipers are not people of conflict. You can't worship the splendor and majesty of God while at the same time griping with somebody else. It puts everything, everything in perspective. There's something about a person that, that, that reverently worships God. One of the themes we've really emphasized this year as a church has been heart and soul. Heart and soul. Love God with all your heart and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you live a life of a Jesus worshiper, you're going to put conflict in its place. Here's where James continues next. Here's the next one. He says, drop your sin and repent. Drop your sin and and repent. Now, I like the way he says it in this verse. Cleanse your hands. He said, wash up. Wash up. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Oh, yeah, wash your hearts, too. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Wash up. This deals with honesty before the Lord. It's, it's an attitude, an action that 
shares a sincere sorrow, a true repentance before Him. You see, in your conflict with others, there is a person who deserves for you to handle it right. And it's not the person you're having a conflict with. It's God. And so what I've got to do is say, you know something? It appears as though I'm having a conflict with this person, but I want to handle this in a way that would be pleasing to Jesus Christ. And so although I may feel offended or I may feel wronged, I want to be very, very careful to handle this for the glory of God. Do what you do for God. Lisa and I have done our best to raise our daughters to obey us. Um, we, we, we didn't do the whole time out thing. I mean, we just we tried to read the Bible, do what the Bible said, and we tried to really raise our daughters to obey us. But the goal was never that they would live their lives obeying us. It wasn't brainwashing. It, we weren't trying to create little minions who would follow our every wish. It was, it, was, it was something we were trying to do to help them understand what obedience to authority was all about, knowing that one day there'd be a greater authority that they'd have to come to understand. And so we tried to teach our children to obey us in hopes that in time they would develop a personal relationship with God and they'd have a willingness at that point to then follow Him. I was texting uh, Jessica the other day couple weeks ago and uh, uh she was going out and i i just gave her a two-word text be good be good and uh, normally i'd get a thumbs up or a smiley face or a heart pictures are worth a thousand words aren't they i just want to go on the record i love emojis okay they're great but she didn't send me an emoji i will now read to you verbatim word for word the text that I received in a private conversation, <laughs> okay? Jessica's not here today, so y'all won't tell her, will you? All right, here it comes. Here's what she said. So I said, be good. She said this, although I want to be good because it's obedient to you, I also want to be good because it's what I want. Just so you know, I'm choosing to be good. I read that and I thought, how can you be rebellious and obedient all in the same text? <laughs> I mean, she was kind of saying, sit down, old man, it's my time. I did it your way long enough, but she was saying in essence, Dad, thanks for the help for these years, but I've come to the point where I'm no longer doing right because you're there to say do right and send me the text to say behave and be good. I've made a decision personally because of a relationship with God where I want to do life the right way for Him. And if that pleases you in the process, so be it, but I'm doing it now for another reason. And you know what? That's awesome. That's awesome. And we're to see our conflict with others through the eyes of God and see our quarrels as the sin that they are. And so we've got to drop our sin and repent. Here's the next one, letter E. We've got to humble ourselves. Humble yourself. Now, we covered this to a degree, but if we don't humble ourselves, life has a way of humiliating us. And there's a difference between humbling yourself and being humiliated. How many of you know that distinction? I've done both, by the way, okay? It's always better to humble yourself than to put yourself in a position where you have to be humiliated. When, when, when we humble ourselves before God, it opens the door to His blessing. Listen to the words of James. He said, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and here's what happens. God will lift you up. You lower yourself 
in your relationship with God. And what happens is God will, in response to your lowering yourself, He'll raise you up. Again, grace is our need. And the Bible teaches us in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34 that He giveth grace unto the lowly. How imperative is it is in life if we want to have peace that we have that lowly, humble attitude. I'm not talking about a doormat, uh, but I am talking about someone who's yielded to the Lord and humble before God and others. Here's a really important one. Letter F, the next one James gives, judge not. Judge not. Judge not. And I like how James mentions this. He says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. What an amazing statement. He says, if you play the role of judge, you're, you're actually judging the law. He said, if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, one of the words of Satan in the Bible is slanderer, slanderer. And I want you to know that we are never more hurtful to others than when we place ourselves as the judge and we speak evil one of another, as James would say. In other words, we're never more like Satan than when we're slamming other people. We're, we're, we're criticizing them needlessly. We're judging them. James goes on to say it this way. There is a lawgiver, you know, one lawgiver who's able to save and to destroy. And who are you? You're not that one lawgiver. Because I know that one lawgiver, James would say. And it's not you. And it's not me. So, so don't, don't try to be that one that judges another. When we judge others, we're trying to make ourselves large and make them small. But we have to understand at the end of the day, we are all just people who need God's love and God's grace. And when we follow God's plan, we'll find his grace unleashed in our lives. And the more grace we receive as we humble ourselves, the more grace we'll have to bestow upon others, building stronger marriages, helping us to be parents that, that grow healthy, well-adjusted, balanced children, workers that can step into a work environment and, and solidify a team rather than blowing it apart. I'm saying this, when we appropriate this message, everywhere in the world you go will be better because you're there. And it won't be just because you're there, it's because he that liveth in you is there living through you. It's grace. So often when a conflict emerges in our lives, we think of the other person and the changes they need to make. But I want you to know today, we're not going to answer for what other people do. We're not going to answer for how other people live. But if we follow God's path, we'll find that conflicts will lessen. And for those that seem bent on conflict, you'll find a peace in your life from knowing that you're doing what is right. And I mean, I wish there were a nicer way to say this, but yeah, there are crazies in the world and there are people that you're going to have problems with and and and. There are going to be times where you're just going to have to do it right and know in your heart, you know something, I've handled this to the best of my ability. Uh, I've tried to be kind. I've tried to be gracious. I, I'm just going to take a step back here. I'm, I, I'm not going to pursue this. I, 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 don't want to, I don't want a conflict to continue. There are those times. In fact, the Bible says as much as it's possible, live at peace with all men. 
And so with those with whom it's possible to have peace, you're going to build peaceful relationships. For people that are just, they're just those kind. The, the people that they don't have peace anywhere they go. Uh, you're, you're going to know in your heart, at least I did my best in this situation. I work hard in this situation. I have found that hurting people invariably hurt people. And what we need is God's peace in our lives so that His peace can rule in our hearts and in our lives. And when God's peace rules in our lives, it will flow from our lives. And I'm going to tell you today, who needs this lesson? Me. Because I've got a wife and I've got daughters that need my influence to be a godly one. No wife yet's respected an angry husband. No children respond to an angry father. I need this lesson. In between f uh, husband and father, there are other responsibilities, but I'm a pastor. And I don't want to be a pastor that stirs up conflicts. I want to be a pastor who's a maker of peace. I need this lesson. Because if I don't appropriate this, my life will degrade in a hurry. And with all due respect today, with all these fingers coming back at me, I want to kind of point one out at everyone else today. You need this too. You're not above this. You're not beyond this. This isn't a lesson everyone else needs to get so that they can get off our back and leave us alone. No, I'm saying this is the heart of Christ. This is what we all need in our lives. There are people in your life that will benefit greatly from your appropriation of God's grace. And you'll find that God will use you to put down wars and fightings. And as you do, other people will see Jesus Christ in you. And there's nothing greater we can do in life than live in a way where people see Jesus in us. Our Father, we thank you for this day and for the opportunity to go through this study Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be tender to you. Lord, help us to understand that we need to handle these relationships you give us in the right way. I pray today that marriages will be helped. Lord, I, I know there's a husband in this room who's just upset at his wife, and if she would change, it'd be a great, a great home. And there's a wife upset with a husband. I know that there are children uh, irritated with parents and vice versa. And Lord, I just pray that all of us today would stop trying to be fault finders and that we would become fact finders and we would look within. And, and God, I pray that you'd allow all of us to be humbled as we look to the greatness of who you are. And may we seek for your grace so that by your power we can do what never could have been done any other way. Lord, our world is in such conflict. What a sad thing it is that even people of faith often are known as people of conflict. And Lord, I pray that you'd help this church family to be a bastion of peace and peacefulness. May we come together in unity, unified behind you and your word so that we can be the light you've called us to be. Help us, we pray, dear God how we need you.